You're listening to Let's Talk About Skills, baby. I'm Kelly Ryan Bailey, and this season we're talking all about the Great Resignation. The global pandemic disrupted so much for so many, and one of the largest effects has been on where, when, why, and how we make a living. We're taking a look at why people have been shifting jobs, paths, and careers at such an accelerated rate, and how leaders from different industries are navigating this challenging time. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, skills nerds. With me today is Bill Jensen. Bill is the CEO of the Jensen Group, a best-selling author eight times over, a global speaker, thought leader, futurist, and simpleton. Thank you so much for joining me today, Bill. Thank you for having me, Kelly. I'm thrilled. (laughs) Me too. So this conversation came about because a good friend of ours, Colleen Jenkins, suggested that we meet. You had gifted me a copy of your book, The Day Tomorrow Said No. I was blown away at how you described in this book something like the future of work in such a simple way. Actually, I wondered why you had Simpleton listed in your <laughs> bio. And I was like, I get it now. I actually even showed my husband and my kids this book. And I was like, can you guys please read this? Because you might actually know what I do now. <laughs> if if I've, I could never figure out the best way to describe it, I've tried a million different ways. But in all honesty, I just really also thought that the listeners of this podcast would really love to learn and hear from you just as much as I did. So I'm just really pleased that we get to jump in and have this conversation. Yay, let's do it. So let's start off with, why do you do what you do? There are two reasons. One is from the head, the other is from the heart. From the head, I was in undergraduate school at Rochester Institute of Technology, and I was taking a logic course, if then PQ and or statements, those kind of things. And I was lucky that I had aced it in high school. And they were actually, I was in my junior year, I was actually, used, they were using the same book that I used in, in high school. So I made a choice. I didn't go to any of the classes. I was just going to take the final exam. When I was blowing off the midterm, I went around the lake. There's uh, there's Rochester, then there's a big lake, then there's north of that is Toronto. I went to Toronto and I did all sorts of things legal and illegal to my body. And I stumbled into the Ontario Science Center. It was one of the first interactive science kids museums and like the Exploratorium in San Francisco or for New Jerseyites, Liberty Science Center. And I went to the back of the museum and there were these kids playing with a maze. There were about 20 ping pong balls at the top and it was about 12 feet wide, 10 feet high. And the goal was with a limited number of levers to get one ball to drop. And I watched these fifth or sixth graders do it and they blew it the first time, they blew it the second time, the third time they got it. And it was like, it dawned on me at that moment they were taking my college level midterm in logic or, or, or like binary programming for some of the techies that would be familiar with it. For an and statement in logic, two halves of the statement needed to be true. That meant two gates. For an or statement, only one half of the statement had to be true for it to work. That could mean one gate. They figured out two gates, one gate, two gates, one gate. They figured out with a limited number of levers to get the ball to drop to the bottom. The challenge was if my college level professor gave them the college book, they would never figure that out. It was a game designed at their level. 
So what I learned about simplicity at that moment that I've carried through the rest of my life, simplicity is really easy. Another word for it is empathy. You put yourself in the audience's shoes and design backwards for their needs. You don't design a college level textbook for a college. You design it for fifth or sixth graders. So what I learned is we can make everything simple if we design backwards from the receivers or audiences or users' needs. That's a discipline called design thinking now. So that was the dawn of why I do what I do. I try to make things as simple as possible for everyone. And by the way, another lesson that I'm going to fit in a third besides my other story. The other way we learn throughout human history is we tell stories. That makes things simple. That makes things easy to understand. We tell a story. So I started with one story. I'm going to tell you another. Why do I do what I do? I went back to school. I got a master's in organizational development. And something happened in the middle of that that changed the course of my life. It was July 14th, 1994. My mom died. My two sisters and I rushed to the hospital. She actually died in the same hospital where she gave birth to me in Rockville Center, New York, Mercy Hospital. And we were in the emergency room. And the doctor said, sorry, she just had a massive stroke. There's nothing more we can do for her. She's only going to live a few more hours. Go up to the family waiting room on the ICU, the intensive care unit on the fourth floor and go wait for her. So we waited five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, 20. I'm waiting for my, nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. And I'm waiting for my father to do something, but he's not a take charge kind of guy. So finally at 40 minutes, I went ballistic. I confess, I was an asshole. I kicked, I screamed, I cursed, but I got the doctors and nurses' attention. They all came over. They all were wonderful, back to that word empathy. They were empathetic and caring. But the gist of what happened was there was a miscommunication between the ER and the ICU. Nobody knew to go get mom in the ICU. She was dying alone for 40 minutes. Nobody was holding her hand. She was in the corner of the ER. Nobody was with her. She was abandoned. And Fortunately, I say this that way, we were with her when she died. I'm, I'm glad for that, even though she had to pass. But not immediately, but a year or so after the grieving process, I realized, you know, damn it, that hospital sold 40 of the min last minutes that I'm ever going to get with my mom. And I never get those minutes back. So why I do what I do is the time and attention each of us has are the most precious assets we have every day. Most of us are wasting them. The most important number in business is 1,440, 1,440. You may have remembered it. It was in the book, but it's the number of minutes in a day. And none of us get any more than that. None of us get 1,441. And most of us piss away those minutes on meaningless, stupid stuff. We all, you know, what we discovered during the pandemic is, oh my gosh, family is important, but we've been killing ourselves away from our families to earn a buck. All of us sit in stupid meetings, respond to stupid emails, waste time. We give our time to everybody else. So one of the reasons I do what I do is whether it's a speaking engagement or a consulting or a book, I try to somehow wrap in the realization that everything you do, Kelly, that I do, that everybody who's watching or listening this, the only way we get our work done is we use a portion of someone else's life. I repeat that. The only way we get our work done is we use a portion of someone else's life. So I'm on a lifelong quest now to raise the bar on how we respect each 
other. I have no doubt that everybody listening and watching is unbelievably respectful, but let's take it to a new level. How much value do you pack in for the other person when you use a portion of their life? That's what we all owe to everybody uh, we work with. That's absolutely amazing. I love the idea that you, the concept of thinking about the other person's time. It is surprising, right? How many times people ask for, I just laugh about this, like ask for little favors. Those little favors aren't always so little, right? Or you have stuff going on in life and, you know, adding in one more little favor could be the one that breaks everything else. (laughs) We just don't necessarily think about it from the other person's perspective. And favors are okay. That's how we all get through the day and all kinds of relationships, business, personal. But that favor also needs to be returned back to that person. What value do they get after they do that favor for you? It's so true. And thank you so much for sharing your story about your mom. Um, I recently just lost my father. So <laughs> the emotion is high on that. But also, you know, having this experience has really, for me, the, the time that you just described is so you know, prevalent and real right now in this perspective, in this moment, it it never was. I mean, I I thought about it all the time. I am a working mom, three kids, right? Time is (laughs) precious, but you know, you never thought about it in, in this way, in this final way. And you're right. I just want to ask, you know, what really led you to start the, the Jensen group? I am my own worst enemy at times. I, when I coach people and mentor people, I say, learn from my mistakes, not the things that I've done right, because I've done far more mistakes. But I could have made a lot more money had I gone the path, the normal path of corporate you know, work. I've always needed to tell my own story. I've always needed to have an impact on the world the way I needed to have it. Sometimes that's worked out wonderfully. I've had a wildly successful life. I've, I've traveled all over the world. I've spoken and coached people all over the world. And there's been horrific valleys. There's been great peaks and there's been horrific valleys. So why I did what I did you know, 35 plus years ago was I needed to follow my own passion. I couldn't do it any other way. That's amazing. My father once asked me, I was throwing a first party. We had a penthouse in New York and I was throwing a party to open the the business. And my father came to me and he said, where's your security bill? And I said to him, now he didn't mean physical security, he meant, you know, financial. He was a cop for 20 years. He retired from that. He, you know, he was a fleet service clerk for American Airlines. It's like, who's going to pay for your retirement? was what he meant. I said, here, dad, here. And I pointed to my chest. Me, I'm the security. And that's something he never got. Not all of us, but many of us need to point to ourselves and say, this is how I need to go. I think that's such an important message, especially for those out there considering the route of entrepreneurship. I feel it sometimes too. So I know exactly what you mean. It is a question that is often, you know, you often get from you know, folks that everyone has a different mindset, as we'll talk about from the book, right? And so some people just don't fully understand that. But I, I'm glad you pointed that out. So in your journey, you know, starting this company, becoming the CEO of your own organization, all of the things, if you had to list like what are the three top skills of yours that led you 
to success? Perseverance, personal agility, and passion. Passion is an all-inclusive word. Vision, what am I, how am I going to make a difference in the world? So passion is the driving force inside of oneself that when all things have gone kaflui and nothing is going right and you're depressed and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills and all of that stuff, everything that's going wrong can go wrong. There's an inner drive. So passion is vision, the, the drive to make a difference. It's, you know, it's all of those things. The personal agility that's the biggest thing that will keep all of us going forward is we need to be very adaptable. And for any of you that think you can't or not are not keeping up with it, a little while ago, March 2020, the entire world shut down and had to change every the way we work completely. And everybody went was sent home. And somehow we all got figured it out. It was hard. It was difficult. But we figured every single you were born out of the womb to change every single day. We forget that after we're 9, 10, 11, 12, we start getting robotized. We become part of something that, that says there's the way and the only way to do things. You were born to change constantly. That's how we were born. So that's personal agility. Remembering to forget things and move on and grow and learn. And the perseverance is just whether it's entrepreneurship or a corporate environment or life or deaths in the family or whatever it is, there's going to be sucky days. There's going to be sucky years. But rely on the passion, the drive. My drive since 1994 is to continue my mom's legacy of what she taught me. And so whenever I'm having a rough day, that's what I draw on. Do you do anything out of curiosity? Because I love those three things and what you've just described. It's just so inspiring and wonderful reminders because I often feel like, you know, when you're in the trenches, so to speak of life, right? You Sometimes you just forget because things do get hard. Is there anything that you do that helps you remember those on those down days? If you gave me four, I would have added curiosity. You gave okay, me three. Yeah. So number four is curiosity. Yeah. What I do, I try to practice what I preach. I talked about empathy, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Empathy is obviously not my original idea. But when I was going for my master's, we were focused on the future of work being now, <laughs> being the 20s, the 2020s, the 2010s, the 2000s. One of my cohorts did something absolutely brilliant. She brought in a bunch of kids from 12 years old to 18 year old, year old as a panel and said, interview them. There's your future at work. Talk to them. So how do I try to stay curious? I try to always talk to somebody who's going through change that I'm trying to help and say, how you doing? What's going on? What's, what are you really struggling with? And what I found, like the bathroom story, most changes that need to be done are what I call pebble in the shoe problems. They're not vastly costly. They're not major. It's just, I can't do my job because of this. Can you help me with this little thing? But you only hear that when you go talk to them. Right. I was reading an article about burnout. I don't know if it was yesterday, whenever, at some point this week. And it was, the, they were just sharing a story about, it was a, 
I feel like it was probably a high school or something, music class, and no one asked, right? It was like one of those situations. They put in this brand new, gorgeous, expensive studio, and all of a sudden they started losing their best faculty members. All of these things started happening over the next year. And what they found out was all they wanted was new music stands, like $300, less than $300 music stands. The music kept falling. Nobody asked. So they did something crazy. And then it caused all of this disarray. Like you said, this pebble, like this one thing, just because they didn't ask. But that's been coming up a lot. And I think it is so important. So thank you for sharing that. The other thing I wanted to ask you was along the way, these you know four most important skills, how did you develop them? Because you've talked about going for your master's. You've talked about different ways that you've practiced. Do you feel like that it's a combination of those things? If someone else was saying, how do I do that? I was stupid. <laughs> I learned them the hard way. I always paint myself in a corner and then say, okay, how do you get yourself out of it? I always took on problems that were bigger than I could do. And then I figured my way through it. I would not advise anybody to follow my path. There were as many downsides as there were upsides. What I would say is how most of us should get through it is find mentors and find multiple mentors. Someone who has lots of experience. One of my slides in, in many of my presentations is find two mentors, one half your age, one twice your age. The twice your age is age of wisdom. The half your age is the person that can jump off the couch and fly. They have no inhibitions. They're going to go do things. You need people who are risk takers to coach you, who push you and say, go for it. You need people who will rise and say, be cautious. You need a spectrum of coaches and mentors. Put together a full spectrum of half a dozen people. And by the way, they can just be close friends that you talk to. It doesn't have to be a hired coach. But I would say the best way to do it is contract with those people to constantly take you out of your comfort zone. Everything you want to do including your best life, including your best self, is always, always outside of your comfort zone. If you don't want to do it my stupid way of it's a hard knock life, make it easier for yourself, put together a pool of advisors, coaches, mentors, and contract with them to push you, to challenge you, to take you out of your comfort zone. That is great advice. Yes. So I also wanted to jump into the book, Bill, because this is sort of the, you know, something that really changed my perspective. One of the things in this book was that you actually, you just described these mentors, right, with different perspectives. And I love that you actually included that in the book. You know, this had perspective from different angles. It, it was fascinating, by the way, you guys should all go and read this book. But I know it was published in 2020. Was this book because of what was happening? I adapted it later because of the pandemic, but the core of it had been developing for decades. The reason for it, I was banging my head against the wall, trying to get senior execs to wake up. We need to change how we're developing people, how we're changing, how we're transforming our organizations. We're burning people out. People are going to resign in mass if we don't change. And by the way, the pandemic has forced that now. But I kept trying to warn people. So I thought about writing a book that was inspired by reading Al Gore's The Inconvenient Truths about climate change. I said, okay, I want to talk about inconvenient truths. And I wrote an entire typical business management book 
about inconvenient truths. And I realized nobody's going to listen because they've been ignoring these inconvenient truths forever. If I tell it to them in a business way, they're going to keep ignoring it. So what I did was I took my own advice that I just gave a, a few minutes ago, storytelling. And I realized we all learn through storytelling. So I created a fable that were the, the characters were the essence of the battle. One character was today. He's Mr. More, better, faster, more, better, faster. We have to get it done. We have to get it done. The urgency of being efficient and effective. Tomorrow is our dreams, our possibilities, our futures. And little one is the workforce of the future saying, hey, wait a second. She's, she's Greta Thunberg, the ecologist, you know, environmentalist saying, hey, wake up. You're, you're not going to leave us a planet. So the little one was the voice of passion and saying we have to change. The future was the voice of dreams and possibilities. And today was the voice of more, better, faster, get it done. And I allowed the three characters to essentially battle it out. One of the books that I was inspired by was Dr. Seuss's The Butter Battle Book, where he took the Cold War of feuding USSR and America with nuclear arms, and he translated it into, are you going to butter it on this side or that side of the toast? And you know, it didn't matter. Both were right. You just had to work together. So I had created a conversation between today, tomorrow, and little one. I love how you called out that you adopted this book you know, to the pandemic, but it had been in your mind for so long. Because I think, like you said earlier, people needing to not learning the hard way <laughs> like you did. I feel like, unfortunately, all of the things that you wanted to warn people about, they were not listening until they were pushed into this corner and into this moment. Those things were happening all along. Right. And people like you and I were like, hello, <laughs> knock, knock, <laughs> just so you know. And then this moment happens, but you've, you've written it in this way that with, again, like you described this simple story with these characters where you can imagine this conversation happening at a corporate level, right? I mean, it's, it's outstanding. One of my favorite things in the book is besides the three characters and how they're working through the, the challenge is these three Bs. Can you tell us a little bit more about that without giving everything away? Because I still want people to go out and read this book. It's that powerful. It's in the telling of the story. It doesn't matter that we'd say the three Bs are believer, breaker, or builder. But what I did as a solution to how they came, they went on a quest to figure out what are the secrets. And the secrets are regardless of the details of your job, regardless of the fact that there are billions of people on the planet and millions and millions and millions of jobs, different kinds of jobs, all jobs come down to one of three things or a mix of three things. The believers are the passionate people the, the, who, who are dreamers who, who say, let's do something differently. And I believe we can do this. The breakers are the ones who break things so that we can begin anew. And the builders are the ones who build the systems to enable us to do that. So all of us need more believers but not just the rah-rah, I'm signed on to the culture, I'm going to do this because I'm a great teammate. But hey, wait a second, this is wrong, this is not working. We need people who are passionately protesting what's not working. That's also a believer. The breakers are 
you know, Steve Jobs wrote, you know, narrated a commercial for the Apple way back when that really talk about the misfits and, you know, the people who, who challenged the status quo. They broke things so that we could have a phone that is every single app on the planet. They break things every day so that we can do televisits. Right now, my sister who is partially paralyzed and can't speak is having it right at this moment is having a televisit with a doctor to see whether they're going to change her meds, but the doctor doesn't have to come to her and she can go to him. It's amazing technology because somebody broke the systems and the builders are the ones who build the systems for us to do that. Those are the three basic job functions on the planet. There are only three. And some of us do all three. Some of us do only one, but all of us do one or two or three of those jobs. And we simplified, going back to Mr. Simplicity and make it simple and simpleton, I simplified all jobs on the planet to just three. Which are you? <laughs> oh, where I am most passionate, I'm definitely the breaker, the provocateur. Where I'm pragmatic and I have to earn an income, I'm the builder for my clients to enable them to achieve their dreams. But if it were up to me, I'd be Greta Thunberg. I'd be, you know, railing at the world saying, we got to change, we got to change. I've just mixed in a little bit of pragmatist builder to yeah. keep earning a living. Well, no, I know. I mean, I feel like it, it is funny that you describe that. I often think of myself as this breaker, but then I'm like, but... <laughs> When it comes to those kinds of things, you just sort of have to mold yourself into a different way. As it relates to skills, skills, baby, with or without the book, I encourage you to go get the book. You can uh, get it for free. I give it away for free. You just have to pay shipping on uh, tomorrowsaidyes.com. You can go get it for free. With or without the book, what I would ask all of you to do to think about is for skills. Where are my skills? Am I truly the most skillful when I'm a builder? when I'm a breaker or I'm a builder and start leveraging that and also building your other skills in your, in the other two areas. Thank you. And you know, I, I know we're getting close to the end of our time, but before I ask my final question, there is just something that is, that I'm really thinking about in all that we've chatted about today, because you've talked about these skills. Do you feel like a degree is important? It, formal education is important in whatever it is, whatever B you want to be. <laughs> At the current cost of what it, how far into debt your parents or you have to go to get it, a qualified no. Learning is a lifelong journey. Don't get sucked into education as the only path for learning. I spoke earlier about the Richard Saul Werman and the TED conferences. My son is now 35. When he was a teenager, I stole from his college education to take him to the TED conference. That was the, he said, other than the becoming an Eagle Boy Scout and his, how his parents raised him, that was one of the biggest highlights of his life. It taught him so much about life about people, about technology, about curiosity, about passion. So there are many different ways to be a continuous learner. Yes, absolutely be a lifelong continuous learner and challenge yourself to learn something new every day. I don't know, even if it's minuscule, learn something new every day. But to your direct question, 
don't confuse education with learning. There are many ways to achieve your goals of learning without going for the education. Sage advice. Okay, last question for you. What's the one thing that you learned from the pandemic that was most surprising to you? Well, I've asked this in coaching others, this question. I've coached leaders this question. And what came out when I asked others this question was they were surprised, not surprised, but finally had a major aha. Wow, family and relationships really matter. Oh my God, I've been dissing them for so long because I thought work mattered. No, family and relationships matter. And secondarily, wow, I am agile. I can change. I did it. I did. I changed in ways that I am capable of far more change. That's what I coached other people to realization. Me, why I moved back in with my sister and to help her with her problem. Family is the most important thing in life. Oh, you just, (laughs) I got a little emotional there. Very sweet. Thank you so much, Bill, for joining us today as well. This has been absolutely amazing. I am just so thrilled that our paths crossed. A huge thank you again to Colleen Jenkins for pushing us together because this has been absolutely amazing. I'm sure that I would love to continue to learn from you more. But anywho, I want everyone to know that if you want to purchase Bill's books, he's got more than the one we've talked about today, by the way, (laughs) or get more information on the Jensen group, you're going to go over to simplerwork.com. And then um, if you want to find Bill on social media, he is available on LinkedIn or at Simpleton Bill on Twitter. Is there anywhere else you like to hang out on social media, Bill, that we should know about? Twitter and LinkedIn are the primary ones. Okay, perfect. Perfect. I want you guys to read this book and please come back and let us know what you think about it because it is just such an amazing read. All right. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful day and talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, a Growth Network podcast production. If any part of this episode resonated with you, we would love for you to share it with a friend or colleague who might feel the same. Feel free to reach out to me at Kelly Ryan Bailey on social and learn more about the great events and initiatives we have coming up at skillsbaby.com. Thanks again for spending some time with me and most importantly, have a great day.